0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and welcome to the show. Now, there comes a point in every season where I just wake up and think, I don't particularly want to do the podcast today however my mood is always turned around in times like these as there's no better remedy than a little bit of group therapy but my word we're gonna need one big old session after last night's performance as craven cottage under the sterile glare of an illuminated pizza pr disaster fell into near silence two goals in 90 seconds for our neighbors in the first half the cottage stunned Our team just sadly did not show up last night in a derby that means so much to the fans. However, we have the perfect opportunity this weekend to put last night's result behind us. Coming up on the show today, we'll try to analyse what went wrong, what needs addressing before we welcome the Blades, and for those of you who heard that strange announcement in the hammy end last night, we will reveal the identity of the mysterious Mr Bishop and exactly why he left the stands. Joining me today is Dan Cook. How are you today, man? I'm doing okay, Coops. That introduction's
2: cheered me up non-end.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, Hopefully there'll be more of that coming up. It sounds like chaos broke loose in the hammy end last night, so uh, we'll come on to that, I'm sure. Uh, Chief writer on the Fulhamish website, Mr. Drew Heatley, how are you doing?
3: Hi, George, and hello to everybody who isn't Domino's Pizza.
1: <laughs> oh, as soon as we saw that go up, you're like, what? What are you doing? And live from Germany... It's Bundesliga journalist, Mr. Archie Rintut. Welcome back, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Just not in the circumstances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we'll get through it. We'll get through it, lads. Dan, you've got some three-word reviews for us. Would you mind doing the
2: honours? I do, I do. I took to Twitter. or X, sorry. And uh, I started off with, with everyone's first thoughts coming away from last night. We had uh, a triple threat here from M with Blame Domino's Van fulham dc with dominoes have fallen which i liked and jacket emerged with jinxed by dominoes there's a lot of pizza related hatred going on and as me and jack collins were saying at the start of the before the game at the duke we are pizza hut loyals Uh, and frankly dominoes can piss (laughs) off um so moving on from that moving on away from the pizza related pieces we've got Alinho, who eloquently put slow, ponderous wank, which I think is apt. And <laughs> <laughs> here for the Fulham, who had a civil, similar review, We it gave us Monday shite football, both good, uh, neither allowed and neither allowed pre-Watershed either, but good nonetheless. And finally, there was a lot of reviews, and I feel like we'll speak about it, along the lines of sign a striker, but Doug Bethune got a lot of support in particular for Raul experiment over so I think those are those are the key ones coming away from yesterday
1: should just mention for those that weren't in attendance last night ahead of the game there was a big illuminated advertising board parked outside Craven Cottage that was a advertisement by Domino's pizza who decided that they'd have a little joke at Chelsea's expense and in big letters it revealed the number of pizzas that had been purchased. Since Chelsea had scored their last goal, which was back in August, and the figure stood at around 9 million or so. And then it was 18 minutes before it took them to break that duck. I mean, as soon as you saw that, you just knew, you're just like, why, why, why did they do that? Anyway, we started the game terribly. It got about as good as it got for Fulham. When Breuer took it round, our defenders having. Retrieved possession from Paulinia and blasted it into the stands in front of H4, but yeah, that was about as good as it got for us, especially in the first half. Anyway,
3: yeah, uh, the the flag actually went up as well, which I didn't realise watching live, and I thought, oh, I can't believe he's uh, he's missed that. I don't know what. Well, to be fair, the, the flag didn't go up until after he'd skied it. It was really really late, so he probably he didn't he wasn't aware of that. But uh, they lulled us into a false sense of security, I think, in the early goings with a couple of. Uh, a couple of misses that made us think that, uh, that, that their curse was going to continue there, the curse of September. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it was always going to happen once we saw the big sign up outside Craven College. why I was an outside Stamford Bridge, I know we were playing at the Cottage, but you know, it had nothing to do with us. Don't, don't, don't uh, mm. put us up there to be shot at. Uh, but no, I thought uh, so the first half was overall Awful, but I thought Chelsea were were actually all right for for their goals. And you know, although there was there'll be a lot talked about the the mistakes, uh, particularly Reams. I think uh, they were good value for their two goals at the break, and we just didn't really have that that bit between our teeth that you would expect in a in a London derby.
1: Yeah, I guess that was what was most disappointing about the manner of the defeat is that we just just did not show up at all and for me anyway actually I'd be interested to hear what you think but I felt like this was a game that was lost in, in the midfield I thought from the word go we couldn't handle Chelsea's pace their dynamism we were outplayed they were just turning our press every single we were Poor in possession, even poorer out of possession. And I feel like ultimately it was um, some poor performances in the midfield that that really, really meant that they could take the momentum in the first half and and dominate the game they were in. I'm interested to hear what you think.
0: I don't know if it's like, I, I get that that's where they were playing through us in terms of in the midfield. The thing is, it spoke to me more of the overall plan that if there is that amount of space between your defence and your midfield, and you're going to try and press them, you're going to get torn apart. And the fact that they didn't even look like they really had to break a sweat is what frustrates me most about last night. Is, I, you talk, Drew, about them being good value. So much of me wants to disagree. So much of me wants to disagree. But the fact is, it was so easy. On each occasion, you talk about the Breuer chance. You think about the first goal they scored. It happened. It seemed to happen in slow motion a little bit, from where I was watching. And then the less said about what happened with Tim Ream, the better. I think that Marco had a game plan, and it wasn't executed, like at all. And you have to wonder, well, what what's gone on there? Like you know, because because the team falls apart, every component looks bad. There's, you know, you, you can talk about the midfield and, and what's happened with Pallina and, and, and Reed there. But, you know, it's a team game. And if you're not, if you're not closing up as a unit, you're going to get ruined and everybody's going to look bad. And to be honest, I thought that's what happened.
1: Yeah, I think it was the element of Chelsea press just, just forcing a lot of errors. Every time we were in possession, it was sloppy passing. I just think we, they, they outclassed us from, from, from the kickoff to the final whistle. We looked, it was boys against men.
2: Yeah, I think Archie's right as well. I think it's execution of plan that was the difference between the teams, ultimately, I think. I thought that particularly Caicedo and Fernandez their sort of rotations at the base of that midfield when we were trying to press was very good. And Conor Gallagher was a a good outlet as that third option, but we didn't press them well enough. And as, as Archie said, as soon as we were bypassing that first wave, the gap to our back line was massive. I mean, the number of times Chelsea was striding through the middle of the park with acres of space. And I wonder if part of that sits from you've got an aging Tim Ream and Issa who isn't the quickest. They're they're reticent to get too high because in a foot race against Mudrick, Breuer, Cole Palmer, they're losing so I, I wonder if there's there's an element of her full not wanting to step up too high but in 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 the flip side you can't then press that high if you're going to leave that amount of space you know if you, you've got to adjust those lines um i feel like archie wants to say something about that
0: the, not just to pick up and 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 build on your point like the the worrying aspect for me is this is this is not a new back line in midfield really. like timothy Costantia, who i thought was probably one of the better players that we had, albeit it's not saying much. But the fact that in the communication stakes, that after 80 seconds, Diop's gone over the top of a player trying to win the ball, and that creates a space. And then Castania misses a tackle, Reem misses a tackle. Reem doesn't communicate with Perlini because Perlini is just coming sliding in. And that's what creates it. And it's like there's four or five different chains of mistake there where I'm thinking... This is not the new part of the team that really needs to gel together. It's up top and with whoever is going to try and find those goals. That's kind of worrying for me. And also because the, the two wins we have had this season, there is a certain element of fortune in it. And look, no one has enjoyed more than me, the way that we've defied these XG numbers, right? And the way that they're, they're thrown at us every week. But there's a certain part of me which is like, I hope, though, like I can do that as a fan. But are people at the club kind of watching this and being like, ah, this is fine? And you look at what happened in the transfer market and I think, I think they are actually. And it's, it's, the, it's those bigger pictures that it points to is what really kind of worries me.
2: If I could just add, Koo, as so well, then the flip side of it, when we did have the ball I just thought it's a problem I've had with Fulham a few times it's when when we're at our worst is when our midfield isn't an option when building out from the back and this is I, I don't understand and Part of it was because Conor Gallagher seemed to sit on Polinia for most of the game uh, and sort of rendered him redundant in us building out from the back. But at that point, someone else has got to offer. And the number of times that Diop and Ream only had each other as options or going out wide where we were quickly snuffed out meant that we just never got a foothold in the game. We never retained possession. We never built anything interesting because Chelsea were prepared to defend us out wide like that. And, and really, we don't have the explosive pace or the trickery in that starting 11, at least to make use of those wide spaces. And at that point, I think you've got to be looking at Harrison Reader and Andreas Pereira and say, you've got to offer more when we're trying to play out from the back, because otherwise we've got nothing And, and we don't have Mitrovic anymore. So that route one option, you know, when we're getting pressed, isn't there. It's, it's Raul's okay in the air, but he's certainly not Mitro. And so we've got to do more when we've got the ball to actually play out of these presses because Chelsea made it look so easy.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that lack of route one option really showed yesterday, especially in the sort of middle stage of the second half. And we we were we kept finding ourselves in the same trap as you just alluded to, Dan, time and time again, going out to the wings, getting pressed, losing possession, putting everyone under pressure. It was It was just so frustrating to watch i did think that things improved second half with the introduction of tom kearney and awobi they gave us something else i thought awobi was dropped a little bit deeper and provided a little bit of alleviation drew do you think that perhaps those changes should have come a bit sooner because by the time they came on it felt like the game had already run away from us
3: yeah i mean they they were warming up at halftime weren't they awobi and um and Vinicius were 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 on the pitch at halftime and they came off sort of midway through the break. Uh, so you'd assume that they'd go back into the the changing room and be ready to come out for the second half. But, uh, you know, Marco made his changes a full eight minutes before the arbitrary hour mark that he seems to love so dearly. Um, but I don't know what he saw in the first half that made him think that no changes were necessary. Um, I, ju- I just I don't get this reticence to change things up when when things aren't working. You know, there's nothing you can talk about confidence of hooking players before the before the break but like if it's not working it's not working it can't it can't be seen as some sort of attack on someone's uh on someone's mental state the, 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 if you take them off it's just that's just football isn't it so it was a bit frustrating to not see it and it's not hindsight it's foresight people were talking about Raul, Raul versus Vinicius since the beginning of the season people have been talking about Awobi since he's come on in these cameo roles and he's made a difference with his industry and his his, his intelligence like we've been talking about this I mean there's pieces on the Fulhamish website that, that ask for you know is it time for Awobi to, to start so it's foresight It's it's, but he has not done it yet and um, you know obviously there's a Lot being made about the next game being Sheffield United at home, and you know maybe that's the time to try and right all of these wrongs. But there's 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 more issues than just that, isn't there? At the moment, I think that the inactivity in the summer and key areas is coming home to Roost now. And uh, you know it's not just about not having Mitrovic, is it? It's like we don't know how to we don't know how to serve our new master. We don't know how to serve uh, Jimenez in the proper way, and he's not you know doing it right. In the you know he's not performing the way he should be. And when Vinicius who is your second choice option by some distance last season is now your best option in your fans' mind. You know, that's a, a big problem, really.
0: It's almost like our sporting director cares more about wrestling than he does about football, but that's <laughs> how
2: we go. <laughs> I do also think that the second half, it, you know, I say it would have hard for us to have been worse, not in the, in the sense that we were so bad in the first half, but also Chelsea were happy to allow us to have more of the ball. In that second half, I thought their halftime substitution of Martson on for Mudrick was a clear stance from Pochettino. Of, right, we're two 0 up; we don't need to to force the issue anymore. You bring on someone who is far more of a left wing back than they are a left winger to play on the on the wing, and it was just a pragmatic approach from Pochettino. And we were always going to have more of the ball in that half, and we still did nothing with it. <laughs> I think that's what
0: I. That's the point of this: is that they played like underdogs in the way that they set up. And we just like did did we think that we weren't gonna have to still earn a victory? Like the the the, the backbone to the good results we have had against the big teams since we were promoted again have come through an unbelievable amount of graft on top of everything. I, I think about that Liverpool game. I think to be honest, even back a few weeks to the Arsenal game, like There was still a lot there. And I just, the way that, like, (laughs) 2 0 is a dangerous scoreline, so they say. And the fact is, the fact that even the fans gave up on the team, you look at the amount of empty seats come the end of the game. I mean, I think that plays into uh, people uh, who will make the argument, I'm one of them, about ticket prices. And if you want to come, if you want to invite kind of tourists who don't really give a shit, then that's going to happen, you know? If you want, do we want people to, get on board for the whole ride, then uh, maybe think longer term. Point is, like, you would have thought we were 4-0 down. It was 2-0. And yet, still, we barely laid a glove on them. And this is a team, like, just thinking with the the way that Pochettino has there from, from what Dan's described, like, this is a team that would have really worried... Had we pulled one back, they would have been shitting themselves.
1: I was clinging, clinging on to that hope because you just thought all it would take is that one, that one goal. We'll get our tails up, the the crowd would get going again. And then all of a sudden, Chelsea, who had been, let's <laughs> not forget, in terrible, terrible form, are thinking, shit, like, this is coming. This is the one thing that we feared. And it just didn't come. It was it, it was one of the most frustrating games of football. It, nothing was building. Nothing was clicking. It was it was terrible. And you said, Archie, it was like it was 4-0. It it could have very easily have been 4-0 or 5-0. It was amazing that it was only 2-0, to be quite honest. And if it wasn't for that 90 seconds of madness that saw us, you know, ultimately get to 2-0 down, then, you know, we, we potentially could have been a little bit more in it. I mean,
0: they were there to be beaten. They were there to be beaten. And like, God knows how all of us and how... Every Fulham fan listening to this has had to put up through so much BS from them over the years. And like now you're like, right, this is like, these are the times where we have to be beating them. Like, you know, when they had, I don't know, Prime, Frank Lampard's, the rest of it on on the team, then... Drogba, whatever, like fair enough, to be honest, because they were a class above. But right now, they are very much there to be beaten. And that's why this hurts. Like, we should not have lost the game against them that comfortably. And that we can all see the levels of mismanagement that are going on above and whatnot. And knowing how that club culture affects these things makes it even harder to swallow.
1: Mm. Do you think it could be a case, though, actually, because we we have had good performance this year, this year against big teams. You know, we mentioned the Arsenal game um, earlier, and it's easy. And you know, the feeling—it's a similar feeling after the Brentford game, where it's the derby. It means so much to us. Everyone's very deflated. It it just accentuates all of the negativity of the you know the the kind of weird sort of parkable style of football that we found ourselves in at the minute. Do you think it could be a case of we have a really resounding victory against the Blades next weekend and then everything's all of a sudden looking not so bad again? Or do you feel like there's something deeper at the core
0: of, of what we're seeing at the moment on the pitch? I, I think there is a bit. I, I come back to the bigger picture point of last season. It was a good season, but I also think that a lot of things did fall our way that you can't rely on to fall your way again. Even, even away wins at Leicester, for example, where I was like, how, how in the hell have we won this game? I, and there were just quite a few moments like that where I was like, next season, you don't know how your run is and it might not go that way. And you need smart people who are switched on and watching for more than just results at your club to be analysing these things and thinking, we need to tidy this up. Because next time it, we might not be so fortunate, and the problem is, is that I get the the only impression I get of the club on all levels is that they are exceedingly smug and very happy with the way that they've done, and they're like, "No, trust us, we're going to do our whole transfer policy again." And the way that Marco Silva's like, "No, no, no, but but seriously, I need to work with the team in pre season because you can't rely on the the fact that Palenio is coming in." And is, you know, people don't really know about him and are, okay, wow, right. You know, that that effect happens once. It doesn't happen twice, for example. And I think that, yeah, that that there are bigger issues here. And it is, I, I am a little worried. I think that we're in a lucky season though because there are so many bad teams in the league. There are so many bad teams. But I think that, yeah, the Sheffield United game has to be won for sure. Particularly looking at after that Tottenham away, Brighton away, <laughs> even Ipswich away right now. To be honest, the way Ipswich are going, I'm, I'm getting heebie-jeebies. Mainly because I also know a couple of Ipswich fans, and I'm like, oh no, 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 no. no. So yeah, like some things, some things really have to click. And I think that the, I think it's just the way that. Things have been handled over the summer. Sorry, this answer is, uh, is the never ending story. Um, the, with Perlinia, Ike, the way that that was dealt with, those are not the actions of a serious football club. The way that Mitrovic was handled, again, Ike, what's that? And the fact that you convince Willian to sign a contract and then he wants to leave again a week later, I don't care who's paying that money. Like, that's not a, these are all signs which do not add up to things are great. But apart from that, I think everything's good. Um. <laughs> I mean, like we've
1: got some questions that come onto this uh, that we'll touch upon in, in part two. But it just it, this season is starting to get the feeling that uh, obviously you've got the, the the lack of ambition that was um, questioned in in the transfer market. But maybe they did look at the league and thought, you know what, there are team. I can guarantee there are three teams that are worse than us. we this is a free hit this year. Let's let's just kind of like tread water and and get away with it, and then. I mean, it doesn't really bode well for the kind of long-term plan. It's just the lack of communication. Like, what is the long-term plan here? What is the goal of the club? Uh, while we're on the subject of the match last night, um, I don't want to sound too Mike Bassett, three cheers for the Mexicans here, but <laughs> Chelsea looked good last
0: night. I've not heard anyone yeah. say that in a while. I've not. I've not. I've, I miss Mike Bassett references. You don't, you don't get that in Germany, mate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Throw back to the mid-noughties. They did good last night, and we talk about. Actually, mentioned our numbers, you know, our our over performances. Chelsea have been the absolute flip opposite of that, and uh, I, I'm unfortunate enough to know a few Chelsea fans, and they kind of going into the game said For, that. Fortunate enough, did you say? I said unfortunate okay, Yeah, sorry, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I would not make that mistake. Uh, they were saying that they felt that this could be a bit of a turning point in their season. They had, uh, I think it's like the second highest XG in the league, bar Man City or Liverpool, I believe. And um, they had this feeling of, all right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come. They they did not look like the side that have been played by this sort of poor run of form. And do you think, Drew, that this could be a sort of sign of us returning to where we rightfully should be with us? having overperformed so long them having underperformed so long and and that balance is just going back to uh, to the way it's been for the last
3: so yeah, 30, I think are- um, the one thing that will change the order of football in, in England in long term is money. And uh, unless you got it, then any anything, any other sort of change of guard will always be temporary. Um, you know, we are regressing to the statistical mean, I guess, uh, from last season. And that's, that was always going to happen, especially when, you know, you combine that with the fact that we haven't replaced our striker. And all of this is all very uh, inevitable and all very logical and makes perfect sense sadly Um, you know for a recruitment team that prides itself on uh, being uh, stats based and analytics based and two box ticked and all that nonsense uh, we've not been paying attention to those big uh, underlying numbers of which XG is only one part we're not saying that you know that is the be all and end all, but we know that is we know by now with all the debate that is one element that can be indicative of a wider thing. So anyway, none of this is surprising, and I think yes, you know, in, in answer to your question, Coops. It's the natural order will be restored inevitably because the only thing that matters is the
2: uh, the green, uh, and uh, we've got it, and we don't want to release it. Yeah, just just adding to Drew as well. I think last season, obviously, the, there was a lot of talk about the XG we were facing and how, you know, we were getting away with conceding fewer goals than anyone would have expected us to. But ultimately, that was okay because I think even if we'd conceded those goals, we were scoring enough on the other end to actually mean that we still would have been a pretty comfortable Premier League side. The problem this season is that the defence hasn't got any better, but our attack has got so much worse. And, and you know, that, the, that looking into the stats of it, like is it tells every story that we've been seeing on the pitch, you know, we've third lowest XG in the league this season created. That's lower than Luton who have played one game fewer than we have as well. Uh, we've had the second fewest shots from open play. Only Burnley have had fewer. And if you look at Burnley's first seven, six fixtures, cause they've only played six as well. They've had most of the top six in their first six games. And we've had the second fewest touches in the opposition box. So it, it just this is not a team that is set up to score goals at the moment and I think that's the massive problem and that's where that's exactly where we didn't see any investment this summer you know it's it's all well and good it, it reinforcing your back line when you've got defensive issues but the fact that you then sell your top scorer completely offsets all of that and, and that's that's a huge problem I'm laughing I can't believe how bad that
0: is
2: it's <laughs> <Yeah, that's> dreadful <laughs>
3: it's awful so
0: bad
3: there's been a lot of talk about uh, the return of Parkerball and things feeling like Parker ball But, I mean, listen to that. That is like when we had Cav up front and we were refusing to play Mitro, doesn't it? Except at least then we were resolute at the back and we weren't conceding anything. At the yeah. moment, we got a minus seven goal difference. And I'm not saying that we're leaking goals all the time because we know that City and Brentford, the, the Gubbings, there, sort of contributed to that. But then when you've got, you know, our first choice centre-back making uh, starting to make more and more errors when he was, you know, infallible the season before and... Diop being Diop will always put, give you heart in mouth moments no matter what he does. Uh, I'm almost I'm almost some easily fascinating uh, fascinating player to try and dissect in himself. That that then makes you slightly more concerned. Then it's like you said, Archie. If it wasn't for the absolute utter dross that's in the league this year, then uh, I think we'd we'd all be a little bit more nervous. And maybe we maybe we should be because you know it's uh, early days. And I'm not saying I'm not sort of putting my tin hat on and saying we're going to be in trouble, but you know. I'm. I'm strangely. Oh,
0: come and join the tin hat brigade. There's lots of space.
2: It's tender It's tender I think.
0: I think the 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 point you make about Diop actually makes me think of like. Look, I I think that he there is a good Premier League player in there, like somebody who can who can do the job, and we've and we've seen that enough on a, on a consistent enough basis. Last season, it's the when, when like too much is being asked of him, and like you know, I, I think back to the Brentford rick that he made. Right? It's like there's only a certain amount of the ball that Issa Diop should be seeing in a game, and it comes back to the point that Dan's making earlier, where it's like, where on earth are the options ahead of him? Because that that, that if you can't play that out ball, then ultimately that like it, half of it's on the defender, but the other half is very much on the rest of your team moving for you and with and with tim ream as well it's like i think bassi was unfortunate to be sent off against arsenal as well as as has been discussed um and he deserves a go right now as well and tosin is still our player right injured apparently for six weeks but but even before then it didn't seem like he was going to get a look in for again uh, due to the wonderful um communication from the club, we don't know why um what what the deal was there, but there's yeah i i don't think I don't think everything's is Diop's fault, <laughs> nor is it all tim reem's fault and and that's the problem is that it's gonna start making like wrongful scapegoats of players who will then start to be even less confident with the situation and then things can start to spiral. I think there is still enough in the squads, mainly because I still see Jao Polina's team uh, name on the team sheet. So I'm like, OK, things can be OK. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, like if, if you're not, I think having having watched what we have after the first seven games of the season, whatever it is now, if if... If you can watch all of that and still be like everything's going to be fine, then then I think you need to put the tin hat
2: on. If I could just 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 to wind up what Coops are on on Tim Ream quickly there as well. Whilst yesterday I thought he was really poor and his his distribution was poor. He gave the ball away a huge number of times. There. Is an element of blame on on the rest of the team because of that. You know, if your centre back is going to have the ball that consistently with no one to pass to, he is going to make mistakes. And and you know, whilst it's an awful pass for that second goal, it is symptomatic of the the wider problem of he had no one to pass to. He's trying to make a thirty yard pass out to Willian, who's who's not tucked in deep enough because there's no one else to go to, and that happens consistently throughout the game, and so. I think that's as Archie's right. Like we can look at our poor defensive issues, and but there is a wider problem. It's it's not just Tim Reams getting old. That's not the reason why we looked so bad at the back last night. There's bigger problems.
0: He was getting old eighteen months ago, and then he seemed to be pretty good, wasn't he? Right. <laughs> I say that as somebody who did probably think that as well, but yeah,
1: it was a it was a myriad of performances last night it wasn't one that you know ultimately cost us it was just it was just a really really bad performance it's just such a shame that these two performances that we've had like this so far this year have come against our biggest rivals at home you know is these the ones that you look forward to on the fixture list when they get the first ones that you're looking out of the date for and you look forward to they it do mean so much to us
2: it's a day <laughs> yeah. of
1: pain for me
0: I, I I see it. and I'm like, oh god. Oh, okay, so this is when I'll break down. Then fine, great. Got to go through the uh, the emotional train wreck
1: of the uh, Southwest Six Derby. But I mean, last year it was a, it was one of the best days of the last. 20. I felt like I'd waited. I was too young to remember the first. I wasn't at the first one. I felt like I'd waited all my life as a as an at like season. A season ticket holder for that moment I had tears in my eyes upon the final whistle that is what everyone is hoping for that is what we want that is what why the atmosphere is so electric going in and then it just fell flat it was sad but it's happened now and yeah it was just a poor 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 day at the office just put it behind us before we wrap up just talk about some some positives can we try and eke out some positives perhaps I thought I thought Timothy Cassania, Timmy Chestnuts he played well right Timmy he Chessnuts. played well He's looking good, yeah. It won't be I thought looked good when he came on. That's yeah. a that's a signing which is looking to you know is going to be a very important one, and and I would argue that we, we should see him starting fairly soon, given Pereira's uh, his he's not been at his, at what we know he's capable of. I mean, we can imagine seeing him coming in against the Blades. It,
3: it's got to happen. There's, I saw it somewhere and I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but it's starting to become a de- It's starting to be to our detriment that our first 11 picks itself, or it doesn't, you know, most people assume it's going to be the same. There's going to be rarely any changes. We've got different uh, tools for different jobs that are crying out to be done, and Nwobi is one that needs to start. You know, Pereira, uh, look, he's. We always forget that he had a pretty bad injury towards the end of last season, came back and was thrust right back into it as soon as he could uh, resume training. We don't need to keep flogging him like we flogged him towards the end of last season, which I, I think might have caused that injury anyway. We don't need to do that. So, you know, be proactive rather than reactive. Make the changes before you need to. Don't make the changes 52 minutes when we're already two down from 20 be proactive and I think that's one, one thing that Marco Silva needs to do a bit more much as I love him I think you know it's a fair point to make so if Awobi if doesn't start against uh, Sheffield United then I don't know what he needs to do Tim Ream look I think we all agree that Bassie probably deserves a go but it's not it's not and it's not us saying that you know has already been said like he's, he's going out to pasture because he's too old it's we need to start looking towards the future and we're expecting Tim Ream to play to a level beyond what he's played most of his time at Fulham, although he's been good. He's now playing, I think we can all agree at a level higher than he ever has. We're expecting that to continue and continue and continue when we've brought in a centre-back who we should be looking to bring in for the future. that That's why we've got, that's why we brought Bassey who's 10 years is junior or, or 10 plus even. So, you know, he needs to come in, um, you know, Uh, Up top is slightly harder to try and come to terms with because uh, you know we've got these three options, all of which are you know blunter than the one we had last year. Um, So I don't really know how to how to tackle that one. But it's it's, I think it's all about bringing in whoever's the closest profile uh, to to what Mitchell is because I think we can't keep we can't change everything uh, at the same time. We need to try and uh, try and keep the basics the way they were when it was going well. So yeah, in short. Awoyi, uh, please against Sheffield United, and and if we can get Bassi in there too, happy days.
2: Although he should score, a little shout out for Sasha Lukic, who I thought after injury slotted back in pretty nicely. I really like how he's grown into this squad. I was very sceptical in the first few months after we signed him in, in January because he didn't seem to contribute very much, but this season his ability to carry the ball, he glides across the pitch in quite a nice languid way. He's, he's, he's good at getting us upfield and that's sort of what we missed yesterday. And as much as Harrison Reed has been a stalwart and fantastic for Fulham for so many years and, and a lot of time has been the unsung hero, I do think Sasha Lukic's on-ball quality is starting to make a real claim for that spot, I think.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting position because we've got a lot of players in our squad at the moment who's places under pressure and I think this game against Sheffield United on Saturday will be very telling and I think that we will see some changes Um, but Sammy and the gang will be back with the Thursday club and we'll be doing a full preview of that Sheffield United game and no doubt we'll be uh, diving in in more depth so do listen out for that Uh, I think that's all about my mental health has got uh, in it talking about the Chelsea game so I think we'll have a break there and we'll be back with some of your questions don't go anywhere
3: Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is particularly perfect for those 3pm kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com slash Not only will you benefit from their already huge discount, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to six devices. Also, it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus four free months, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish or hit the link in the description of this podcast.
1: It's the Fulhamish Podcast. George Cooper here. I'm joined by Dan Cook, Archie Rintut, and Drew Heatley. Thank you for everyone who got in touch with the questions. We'll be coming on to them in just a minute. But before we do, we are doing a live show. Another one at the Half Moon Putney. That's this Saturday after the Sheffield United game. Uh, we'll be back doing a live pod and be joined on stage by a very special guest from the Football Ramble podcast, Marcus Speller. So yeah, do there's a link in the description to this podcast if you want to get tickets to that. I would recommend snapping them up soon because there's only a few left and should be a really good day. Every time we've done a live pod, it's been, um, it's been great fun. Last time we were blessed with that crazy 5-3 Leicester game, which was just absolutely perfect. So hopefully we'll see another game of... Um, similar you know scoreline although I, I do very much doubt it given our uh, strike situation I don't, I, a I don't want to
3: concede free against Sheffield United chess <laughs> <Just> coach please
0: <laughs> I, might, I might go home at full time if that happens
3: <laughs>
1: but yeah do come on down uh, it should be a great day so get your tickets uh, in the link to the description of this podcast cool time for your questions I'm going to throw this to all of you gentlemen uh, Harry Simmons has got in touch to ask can any of you play centre forward <laughs> Archie <laughs> that's the boots off
0: not very well, no <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's the end it's the age-old uh debate isn't it i think for a lot of people it certainly felt in the crowd like um the match where a lot of people finally lost their patience with raul i was um hearing lots of frustrated cries even from the Putney end which is normally uh which is a morgue at the best of times um i mean it's
0: not really his fault though is it
1: no i mean it's a difficult one isn't it but the the, the, the issue for me is that his attacking positioning i think isn't isn't up to where it should be. Every time a ball's coming in, he seems to be 10 15 yards out of position from where he should be. He, he gets on the end of very few. There was one header yesterday, which I believe was from a corner. Really made a brave, a brave leap over. But other than that, it just doesn't, it just seems like he's not quite. He's not in the areas that you'd want him to be. Oh, actually, do you think it's, it's more of a more of an issue of the service that he's getting, or that or lack thereof?
0: I think it's about. It's Still, about that horrific injury he had to stomach. That, for like, particularly as a striker who was very good at heading the ball, I that's gonna do something to you just to take out being a striker on a human being level. I could I be expected to throw my head in with the same uh gusto that I did before if that happens to me? I don't know. Um, but. But then again, I'm definitely more mouse than man. uh, Sometimes, Um, look, I think that it's if we talk about the whole team, then it's also about you know it's just one of those many little roadworks that that is there right now. And you, I look at him and think you could you probably could have done with going to a club at a different level where the pressure was off and. You weren't having to step into the boots of Mitrovic, like somebody who has scored the the goals and the amount of goals of a club legend, even though the the bitter taste that has been left afterwards will deny him that status for now. I, it's a really difficult role to fill. And it's a lot to ask a player who has not scored very many goals recently and saying to Marco, okay, so you're not... I'm not going to buy you players early enough in the window so that you can work with them. Uh, but I also am, but I, I will give you a striker who has not scored for ages and has had to deal with a major injury. Make him score again. Cool, thanks, bye. I, it's pretty tough. It's just, I, so, I, I,
2: I think that there is... Raul hasn't been great. He hasn't played brilliantly. He has fed off scraps at times, which is also a lot of the time not his fault. I think when you allude to his position in coups, I also think that's a problem because we just lack creativity in the final third. And as a centre-forward, if no one's feeding you, suddenly you drop deeper, you go wider. And I think we sometimes forget that Mitro did the same thing. As much as Mitro was great within the goalposts, there's a lot of times when he would drift during games just to try and affect it, to try and, and, and disrupt. And Raul's trying to do similar things. And there was a couple of moments yesterday when he did really good work on the ball. Uh, it's just there's no creativity, and I do think his his movement is a bit poor at times. It just I don't think really there's it's it's a toss up between Raúl and, and Vinny, and I think they have positives and negatives both. But I do believe that Raúl Jiménez is a better footballer than Carlos Vinicius. But Carlos Vinicius right now is better at putting the ball in the net, and that's the tricky thing. You you've got a toss up of someone who at the moment feels more likely to score when presented with a chance, but you're you're having to, to give up on elements of, of his play because he doesn't link the play as well. He's not as physically capable. You know, it, despite the head injury, I still think Raul's better in the air than Vinny is. And it's a real tough decision because do you choose a better team dynamic or do you just hope that a chance falls Vinny's way in and he's in the right place? Because I, I don't really know, but I don't think it's helping Raul's confidence when 20 minutes in, people start singing Carlos Vinicius' name.
1: Yeah, it's a slightly bleak state of affairs at the minute and one that we hope a corner will be turned on very soon. Got a question here for you, Archie. It feels like it was um, somewhat written for you, in fact. And this is from Tony, who says, get Tony Khan on and start getting answers. Team investment, player contracts, extortion, brackets ticket prices, atmospheric games, the future, kids not being able to afford to attend games, long-term goals what do they want for this football club? Let's address the important issues uh, actually, and they've been fairly vocal on these kind of points before in, uh, on uh, Twitter and whatnot what's, what's, your, what's your take on this? <sighs>
0: I don't know, look, because in some ways it's just so, it's so simple that they think that they're smarter than us and they, they just come up with PRBS all of the time. And I, nothing that Shard Khan has ever said, I've really thought, oh yeah, right on, because look the year i spent on the fulham supporters trust was the most informative year that that i had to this of seeing uh, as as they say how the sausage is made and just how how the club really take fans for granted and think that well if you pay more then you are more valuable uh, and they don't get they they just don't get the ideas, and I think some some of it is is willfully just not not being engaged in it. Um, and you know, they I remember when uh, this podcast ran the stop the greed campaign, and people and it was criticised for it. It actually hit the truth, though. It hit the truth. We've 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 seen it now, and. And there's been talk of a protest against Manchester United, and I think that the thing with the protest is that it's the it's the last resort. Like you do that after you've exhausted all of your options. And I think that that's happened. I I, I really think that that's happened. Like how much more diplomatic could the supporters trust have been over the past few years than they have been, and how much more tolerant could fans have been? And at some point, you have to, as a fan who still has that privilege that things are going well enough in their life to be able to afford a ticket, um, you have to be like, you know what? If the coin flips the other way for me, maybe that's not me, and maybe that's my mate who can't afford to come anymore. And it's about standing up for the people who aren't there and who don't have a voice. And Realising that that unless any protest happens, the club will not listen. They have proven that. They will just continue doing more and more PR interviews in the press where Shad Khan will gloss over every issue. Tony Khan will do it as well and say, oh, well, I'm not responsible for that. You're telling me. As the owner's son, that you couldn't have a say in that. I'm sorry, but that is just not true. You could have a say in whatever you like to, such as the special status that you have. And that we just is that we just don't seem to care? Uh, a sausage roll costs seven pounds in the heavy end, I've been told. Like and, and the disgusting thing about that is that the person probably serving the sausage roll is probably being paid about twelve pound an hour, as well. So, like, it's just like, and, and and I hear people as well. Yeah, it's happened, hasn't it? And I hear people as well, right? Who who say, yeah, well, but you know, we, it could be worse for us. We could have worse owners. Sorry, do you, do you judge your moral compass off? Oh, well, somebody else has got it worse. than. No, you judge it off. Is this a bad thing? And the fact is, is that the club has continually been doing bad things and is just kind of, well, as long as we let this storm wash over, then it's fine. And that's just, that's a horrible way. That's a horrible way to live a life, let alone run a football club. So I'm, I'm shaped from do the right thing. Try and do right things, and better things will happen. And right now, just you know, pricing people out and you know, paying lip service to fans—it's not good enough. It's it's not good enough. And um,
2: just, I I would implore people to go and have a look on the Fulham website at who our listed directors are, because I think this is a, a route where you clearly see that. Basically, they have gathered a, a group of yes men to work underneath them. And then this is why, whilst we, people can have issues with how the supporters trust to press the club and maybe they haven't been forceful enough, they are also sat in a room with people who are merely acting as puppets without their own voice. You've got Ali McIntosh in there. You've got Mark Lamping as a non-exec director who was formerly president, conveniently, of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then David Daly. And that is, that is the entire board. I don't think you could find a company of an equivalent size who has such a tiny board and that is by design because that is put there by Shahid Khan to to have three people who will agree with him on what he wants and ultimately our opinions as fans and our desires don't get factored into that because it is business decisions only.
1: Yeah, it's a lot to take in at the minute and it's looking a little bit bleak. I mean, Drew, there are people who um, kind of make the argument of well season ticket holders uh, if you get a season ticket it works out to about 30 35 quid a game i would argue that not everyone obviously can afford to buy a lump sum at the start of the year but then they do the club do actually offer kind of staggered payment systems yada 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 do you think it would take the season ticket prices to to reach the levels of extortion that we've seen across across the board in order for the whole fan base to unite and be like okay this enough is enough because if it was like it's very much a devi- it's a divisive issue at the minute it's not not everyone is in a, in total agreement um do you think that that will be the moment that is like okay right this is it
3: this is one of my biggest bugbears about the whole ticket price debacle that's been going on and on and on is this whole sort of us versus them mentality of our own fans where it's like you know it's, it's the apathy I've, i tweeted about it this week the apathy towards the situation will never not blow my mind because you've got the the nothing we can do this is the way it is now brigade to the it's the football is a business get a grip and you've got these two sides and then you've got these people who are like well i bought a season ticket and mine's 35 pounds a game and that's great value and it's just like Like as a just says a lot about society that we're just like you're you're one of our own you're our fans but we don't actually give a shit about you because I'm all right it's like you know I'm on the Titanic and I'm kicking you off I'm kicking you off Mm. the deck and watching you freeze in the water I've got a lifeboat (laughs) yeah like no worries so it's I just I find it it's just so depressing isn't it but (laughs) I I finished the tweet. exactly and and and, and oh, you know look yeah. if you i said if you if you are the one one of those people who don't care cuz you got a season ticket then beware because you are next we are all next like trust me if you if you think oh it's great value 3500 a game come back next season come back the season after It's gonna. There's only one going one way, and it's gonna accelerate at a rate that you're not you're not prepared for. And it's just because because you know we 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 fail to we fail to speak out for those who are getting shafted first, and then there'll be nobody else to help us when it when we're getting shafted. So I think the time to act is now. Um, I really hope that the FST mobilizes something. They've got a month. They've got almost exactly a month, and I hope they show some teeth because ultimately we're all wondering now whether the FST is fit for purpose and I'm saying this just as myself here um, and I know many people are thinking the same thing they've got the opportunity to show that they actually do do stuff more than just having these meetings which I know Archie, you've been a part of and I know it's not easy getting people to listen who don't want to listen but They've got a chance now to make to try and affect some real change, Uh, and we've already made our position as a podcast clear that we will support anything, but it has to come from them. And if they if they use this next month wisely, then we can actually try and make the biggest statement that we have made as a fan base since Back to the Cottage. If we don't, if we waste these next four weeks, then I fear that that is it now for the ticket price uh, debate. I feel like if nothing happens now, I think that's probably it in terms of the time passing to make any sort of meaningful change while the current ownership is in charge. So I really hope that the next four weeks are spent wisely.
2: Just, and why I think it's so important, where, where I think some people will look and say, yeah, but look where we are. You know, we've finished, we finished 10th in the Premier League. Why don't we just get behind the team? Because well, I fundamentally don't care how Fulham do to an extent because I, will be there regardless, right? And I would much rather all of us be there regardless and people that have been going to Fulham for 20, 30, 40 years still afford to go and be back where we were six years ago than sitting 10th in the Premier League, but starting to count the pennies as to whether I can go to Fulham Football Club and whether my friends and peers and people I haven't met but know exist can afford to go. And as, as we are a, a community, and Fulham has always been a, a close-knit community, I would say it's one of my favourite things about the club. And actually, I care far more about our fan base than I do where we sit in the league.
1: But yeah, we'll await to see what uh, the FST sort of come out with in the coming weeks. But let's, um, you know, we implore people to get to get behind it because it will affect all of us um, at some point if it isn't already. And uh, yeah, we need to unite as a fan base, uh, I think is the the overall sentiment. So, before we wrap up for uh, today, I just want to get onto this elusive Mr. Bishop situation. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Diane has this. been waiting uh, patiently throughout the whole podcast. Okay, so for those who weren't <laughs> in the Hammersmith then last night, there was a, 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 an announcement over the Tannoy uh, saying, Would Mr. Bishop, please, uh, who sat in the uh, Hammersmith H4, please uh, immediately report to to stewards okay and then uh, everyone didn't think anything of it like oh some guys uh wife's going into labor if anything we're quite envious that mr bishop gets an excuse to legitimately leave what we were watching and then give or take a few moments we hear uh the announcer proudly sort of exclaim that mr bishop has now left the stadium as if, uh, as if the the whole fan base could now relax that they've, you know, they've collectively done their duty. Mr Bishop has left the stadium. Um, any, anyone like to hazard a guess as to uh, who Mr Bishop was and uh, the reasons? Have you
0: got, got any uh, guesses? Was it, I, I, like, I don't know, was a mysterious backpack found or something with cheese in it? That's what I'm
1: thinking, Bishop. Well, it was, it was in fact an announcement. There was, there was actually, I believe, a bit of um there was a lot of drama that kicked off in the Hammersmith End last night that we've heard about. Actually, you mentioned the the £7.50 sausage rolls. And <laughs> is it I'm, 7.50? I'm really hesitant. To, or however much it is. But I was told by Dom that there was a uh about a bout of food poisoning that went uh that that tore the Hammersmith End the new one, and people were spot throwing up uncontrollably at random uh, at random points throughout the game. And of I'm course, not for a minute no. suggesting that these sausage rolls, <laughs> were, or whatever they were, were bought from the stadium because uh, I don't know, you know, it could be completely unrelated. But I mean, ugh, could you imagine sitting through uh, 70 minutes of, of that <laughs> and then all of a sudden just feeling, oh dear, <laughs> I'm take, take, taking a bit of a turn, as if your evening could not possibly get any worse. But, like. um, but yeah, so anyway, going back to Mr. Bishop... <laughs> um it was a code i believe so we got an email from matt wall who says i saw a couple of questions about mr bishop so i thought i'd shed some light as a student my summer job was as a steward in every venue there was a security call which was for a special situation where police and stewards needed to be notified but the public weren't to know the calls were thinly veiled for instance at the oval the call sign was mr kennington and it would be used to let officials know where to go. E.g. can Mr. Kennington in the main stand please make himself known to the steward? It would mean security, stewards, get yourself to that stand immediately. Yeah, there you go. That's what it is. So the Craven Cottage equivalent to Mr. Kennington is uh, is the equally unoriginal, Mr. Bishop, presumably for the grounds adjacent to uh, Bishop's Park. (laughs) Um, So I don't know whether there was an issue. Was there perhaps a scuffle? Did you see anything, Dan, go on? Was There was a
2: scuffle after halftime. Drew, you'll have seen it as well, because you sit not too far in front of me. But this was at halftime and nothing was happening. And also, choose a less common name. How many confused Mr. Bishops are there in the Hammersmith End (laughs) yesterday? (laughs) <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like panicking that something's happened. Love the idea of, like,
1: for yeah. Stephen Bishop, Christopher Bishop. Yeah, do you reckon just four people got
3: up and they were we, like,
2: why do, "Why do you want to I speak mean, it was, to
3: me?" There was a there was scrap. There was, a scrap in, uh, there was a scrap through the second half. So I wonder if somebody bashed the bishop because.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But at least Mr. Kennington is like a very, like, it's obviously named after after the area, Kennington Oval, all of that. I've never met a Mr. Kennington. But there are definitely Mr. Bishops who sit in the Hammersmith end, I'm certain of it. I just keep thinking of Harold Bishop. That's all I'm thinking about. Like,
3: Harold, like, walking around the Hammersmith, like, confused, wobbling his little chins around. What, What a ledge. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but I, I saw quite a few Chelsea fans get kicked kicked out even the Putney end, there were, there were there were a few dotted around it seemed that the stewards were quite honest. also I had quite a big police presence in there in the house. I sent the Putney and so I could see but um but yeah, anyway, there you go. Mr Bishop, if you are a Mr. Bishop and you're a Flemish listener and you uh, <laughs> you vacated the stadium um because you thought you'd been cool, please 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 do get in touch. We'd love to absolutely love to hear from you. But um on that note, I think I think we'll call it a day. So it's been cathartic, I would say, is the is the words. And it's a pleasure speaking with you, gentlemen, as always. Archie, thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you.
0: Was a cathartic pleasure, as you say please name the pod Mysterious Mr. Bishop, because I think that <laughs> people people will, will come for this pod and, and not realise how, how much it's going to get them down. But, you know, we'll at least kind of send them a dummy with that one being like, oh, okay, what's this about? And then they'll have got to this point and I'll be like, sorry, but at least you came for the show, huh? Yeah, it's sort of like
1: a Trojan horse, Archie. We'll, we'll lure people in with the, yeah. uh, with, with the allure of- uh, Clickbait. Yeah, Mr. Bishop. <laughs> Speaking of which- uh, what are we going to name the podcast, Dan? Have you got a favourite three-word review, or should we just go for mysterious Mister Bishop?
2: <laughs> uh, I'd feel harsh dragging it away from Fulham DC. Uh, they got a lot of love, and uh, Dominoes have fallen. feels feels more apt. Although I am very happy to cede to to I, peer pressure because I am um, a whore no, for no, peer no. pressure. Dominoes cannot. That sorry, that pizza company cannot
0: have its name mm-hmm. in it's the true. title. Because the whole aim of this is PR and fuck them. Mysterious Mr. Bishop is.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh dear.
1: On that note, Dan Cook, thank you very much.
2: <laughs> thank you everyone. It was, it was, uh, it was really fun.
1: True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, pleasure as always, man.
3: Yes, thanks for having me, Coops.
1: We'll be back later this week with a Sheffield Preview uh, with Sammy and the Thursday Club. But I hope you have a great rest of your week. Forget about... Uh, Monday's game and yeah we'll see you very soon come on
0: you guys I would accept Pizza Hut loyalists